The Sports Career Podcast, episode 213. How can challenges create new career opportunities? Hello Sports Achiever and welcome back to the Sports Crib Podcast. I'm super pumped. This is season six of this podcast show. Five years ago this is an idea and now we're here. So thank you so much for joining me by listening to this show and I'm super excited to provide you content that can support you with regards to your sports career development. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest in a particular field in the sports industry so you can grow, develop and learn from today's experts who are doing what it takes to work in this exciting and big industry in the world of sports. Especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in the football industry, I hope this episode can support you with regards to your interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's show, this week's special guest for Season 6 is Ebru Coxell. Ebru has a fascinating sports career journey, particularly in the football industry, where she is a chartered financial analyst and also she is a current senior advisor at Jay Stern & Co. Also, she's the chair at Women in Football. For that reason, it's brilliant to have Ebru as a special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Ebru will share her football career journey and explain to you how challenges that you experience can create new career opportunities. Ebru, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast show. Please do share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? Well, it started back in 1999 and it wasn't a planned career path actually. Uh, I am originally an investment banker. I graduated from Brown University and started working on Wall Street uh, with a very reputable investment bank and then fell in love, moved back to Turkey in 1992 and continued working in investment banking. And uh, in 99, I joined a private equity fund, an American private equity fund, after having just delivered my first child. And little did I know that I was actually pregnant with my second one when I joined. Uh, But the first day on the job, I was sent to a meeting with the president of Galatasaray, Mr. Suran, who was my former M&A client. I had sold his company to an American firm um, six, seven years back. So the partnership discussion started and the interesting enough agreement was signed on the day that my daughter was born, my second child was born. And my boss three weeks later informed me that I no longer had a job with the fund because I had two very young children who were only a year and a half apart. 
and that um, uh, if I wanted, he could recommend me to Galatasaray as an interim CFO. I had the option to sue the fund for discrimination or try something completely out of my comfort zone. And I said to myself, why not? You know, I'm always a sports enthusiast, uh, a big fan of Galatasaray for many, many years. My father had played um, basketball in the youth team of Galatasaray. And I said, yeah, why not? Six months interim, you know, CFO. And next thing I know, it turned into a 20-year career, actually. Before we dig deep of your experience in the football industry, I just want to go back in time because this show's about helping students apply their sort of degree or education into the sports industry. Out of interest, during your time at Brown University, how has that degree supported you looking back? First of all, I mean, it's a liberal arts college. It's one of the Ivy League schools. And I went in thinking that I would definitely study economics. And um, I also had an interest and passion in politics. And if, if you ask my uh, high school classmates, they would say, yeah, she thinks about going into politics one day. That was my idea. But then, of course, I realized that it's not a very easy career. But sports is like uh, politics as well, in a way. And the beauty of, of, of Brown's curriculum is it's open curriculum. So besides your major classes, you have no requirements. You can try and test anything and everything. I took classes on Latin American history, music appreciation, um, child psychology, many areas that I found interesting. But uh, in the end, I, I know that I uh, enjoyed what I studied. Could I have added something more to it? Probably psychology, looking 30 years back now, because I spent a whole lifetime trying to understand why I do certain things and why others do certain things. And uh, could have been a very interesting uh, field as well to add to my existing you know finance and economics knowledge just on that point about education do you keep trying to improve your game in what you do by learning new things out of interest like I know um, really quickly before air I said I watched uh, Ebru's TED talk on YouTube and you always wanted that Harvard diploma you ended up having it but how has e education really supported you in sort of leadership roles, which we'll talk in a bit more detail on this show? Well, first of all, I never went back for a full-time MBA. It was partially because I realized very quickly in my investment banking career, it's really the hands-on experience that matters rather than the theory that you study. Of course, it's important to have the foundation and the, and the education, but there is nothing like the real world life, you know, job experience. And um, instead, I did the three-year um, CFA program, which is the, you know, ultimate certification for a finance professional. It's a very rigorous program. Over three years, you take um, three very difficult exams and uh, only a handful of professionals globally have this uh, title and I found that to be extremely important and uh, influential for my finance career, my investment banking career. Uh, but after that, again, I always, always 
tried to increase my knowledge, whether it was in my field or outside of my field, took very many, you know, trainings, education, classes online. And of course, the last important one was the Harvard Executive Education Program on Advanced Management. And that added a whole new level of um, thinking and especially uh, strategic thinking more than anything else. And nowadays, it's so much more easier to access uh, learning programs online. And um, But what's important is to be aware of what you're missing, what your weaknesses are, what areas you need to develop in order to get to a certain level in your career, and then look for the right resources to um, upskill yourself. And it's not only about, you know, soft skills, uh, but it's also really important to be self-aware, to really understand uh, what you're good at, what you can improve. And I'm a true believer that uh, if you have a growth mindset, there isn't anything you can not achieve. You know, all you, want, all you need to do is to have a goal and to understand what you're missing and then start building up towards it. Wow, I hope the listeners have got their pen and papers out taking notes just then. Ibru, I've really enjoyed what you've just said, but just talking on the, on the soft skills now, out of interest, what career skills have supported you specifically in the football industry? particularly when you took that Galatasaray role for those six months, which then led to a, a real established career in the football industry. I'm just really intrigued because you said at that point you're out of your comfort zone. So reflecting now, how have those soft skills supported you throughout your whole career? Uh, well, it's no secret. I talk about it quite a bit. Um, during my time at the club, I uh, worked with six different presidents and 10 different boards. And every time there was a new election, a new president and a new board came in, it was always the same question. You know, why do we have a female CEO? And um, it took, I started all over again, every time trying to show my knowledge, my capability, my experience, and uh, but also using very good communication skills, very good um, uh, teamwork skills, and uh, extremely important, again, uh, the ability to influence others. This is something that I now teach in our leadership courses at Women in Football, because um, as a young person, uh, female or male, you might not be in a decision-making process, uh, in a, in a decision-making position yet. The authority lies with somebody else. But how can you be a, a good influencer? And how can you make people trust you, trust your knowledge, and trust your intuition? I think that was something that I relied on quite a bit. And there are different styles of influencing, but for me, it was more about building coalitions um, uh, and also networking and uh, consulting with each other, right? Uh, you cannot be an expert in everything. You cannot know everything. If you surround yourself with people whose skills complement you, it's uh, a better guarantee that um, the project that you're working on or the decision you are trying to influence to be taken will be taken in your way so 
uh, not working uh, in silos, not be the problematic person, but really the solution finder, the one who can think outside the box, the one who can think creatively, the one who can um, join people, you know, for a uh, common goal and a common project. Those are the people who are more valued by their organizations. And that was, for me, the most important part, to show that I was actually there to take the organization one step further with applying all these skills. Just reflecting on that, uh, I want to dig a bit deeper uh, because I've had the privilege to see you on stage at the Athens Rooms Football Summit year one. I've seen you do great knowledge in the Athens Rooms Football Summit, but unfortunately online. But I want to dig deep on what's it take to be a CEO at a football club because I've had many sort of uh, general managers like Elise LaHue, Sabrina Bujabasic, uh, when she, you know, she's a CEO, FK Saviova. And, you know, leadership always comes up, but out of interest, what core qualities <clears throat> have supported you in that position as a CEO out of interest? First of all, it, it, I think it's a myth that you need to have a, you know, football background, which means whether, you know, you must have been a player or, or uh, you know, a coach or something like that. Um, football business nowadays uh, is, is multi-billion dollar business. And these are major brands, major businesses, uh, you know, uh, that, that uh, any CEO in the end can technically run. And, and so I wouldn't say that you need to have... Um, separate or different set of skills to run a football organization. But I would add two or three things to it. First of all, a very, very good verbal and mental capacity, because I don't know of any other you know, brand or company that has uh, so many stakeholders who are uh, every day following you, following your every move. And... Um, uh, Every newspaper these days has at least a few pages on sports. And if you're one of the top teams in your country, you certainly have a page that the, uh, the journalists are trying to fill, you know, with information. So you're in the public eye all the time and you need to be really on your feet and uh, be good with um, uh, public speaking and uh, media and putting out fires if necessary, because you never know when things will get out of proportion. So mental and verbal capacity for sure. Um, secondly, it's never a uh, nine to five job or five days a week. It's a 24 seven job. Regardless of which department you're working in, you're always online because there, even if it's not your A team, it's your um, youth teams traveling, playing, um, you know, transfer periods, new contracts. So it's, it's an extremely uh, high-paced industry. So never, never think that you can only do it, you know, nine to five and five days a week. And um, another important one for me also, how to deal with this, single KPI for success, right? I mean, the single, I call it the curse of the single KPI, which is whether that ball 
you know, passes the goal line or not, whether you lift the trophy at the end of the season or not. So nobody looks, um, you know, if you have made a significant investment, for example, in your uh, in your um, youth program or in the community or you know, the, the um, possibility of some new frontiers, you know, new marketing ideas. But it's in the end, whether you qualified for Champions League, I'm talking about obviously top flight clubs in all over the, all over Europe, you know, because that's the main goal. I mean, last night, uh, one of the Turkish teams, Başak Şehir, beat Manchester United. You know, the beauty is... Uh, the odds were against them, right? And that's the unpredictability. Uh, and uh, with that win, 2.7 million euros comes in. So, so much is at stake on that single KPI that it actually clouds your decision-making. You, you become a more short-sighted decision-maker as a CEO. So you need to be able to distance yourself from the outside pressures from this multiple stakeholder environment and really focus on the medium to long-term goals of the, of the organization. So not being nearsighted, but always keeping that long-term goal in mind. So out of interest, what is a good decision? Cause I want to tap into that decision-making now, like reflecting from your career, how do you, sort of weigh up a good decision is it data driven or is it gut I'm just intrigued now because you've just sparked a thought of like you said there's a lot at stake so from a CEO position or leadership position over the years what do you define a good decision what I define a good decision is not the end result more than how you took the decision and Again, there are different types of decisions, decisions where you have the time to analyze different options, the benefits, the downsides, the alternatives, or some decisions you really need to take on that moment. And uh, that's when all your intuition comes in. So it's a complete mixture. But for me, especially when there is the time to take a longer perspective and a further, you know, a deeper analysis on the decision, taking into consideration, you know, data, facts, circumstances, and why you are taking that decision in the first place. What are you trying to achieve with that decision? And whether the choice in the end fulfills every single decision that you have taken. And there will be some wrong decisions. I mean, nobody is 100% right. But what's important is how can you um, go back, trace the steps, learn something from it, and make sure that you as an individual, as well as the organization, is making better decisions. And here, I will also throw in a little bit the governance structures and the diversity around the table where decisions are being made. Because unfortunately, football industry is still quite patriarchal as well as um, president-driven in many countries, right? So yes, there is a board with 15 people, but ultimately, some are more equal than others. You know, uh, the president usually guides the decision. And that president maybe is not the best person to take that decision. But the authority given to him and the governance structure 
leads him to take or leads her to take that decision in such a way. But the best decisions are usually taken where people are not afraid to challenge if they think otherwise. And if people around the table are there not to tick some boxes or as a result of tokenism or, or because they're the friend of the president, but they are there because of their knowledge and expertise. And that knowledge and expertise is allowed and included in the decision-making. If you do that, the quality of the decision will improve significantly. I truly believe that. Amazing. I hope the audience, the listeners are enjoying this. Ibra, I just want to talk about your career now of challenges. Like there's one thing with your TED talk, you talk about breaking barriers, but the one thing you kept on saying is that new challenge. So out of interest, this relates to today's podcast topic. How can challenges create new opportunities? Well, first of all, I think uh, I've come across quite a few women um, and young men as well in the last Uh, five, six years since I have become passionate about leadership and many people shy away from challenges and um, uh, they don't necessarily raise their hand and go for it um, because, yes, not everybody will in the end uh, be successful in every challenge that they decide to take or tackle. Uh, But I always ask the same question. How will you know if you don't try? right? If you don't step in the arena, if you continue to be just a spectator on the stands, then you're never going to know whether you were, you had the capability to take on a challenge and deliver success in the end. So the first step is to have the courage to try. Then secondly, I say, what, what is the worst that can happen? You're not going to die. You know, maybe there will be some shame and embarrassment because you weren't successful. Maybe you didn't get the position you applied for. But who knows it? You know it. And the recruiter knows it, usually. We are our own worst critic. And if we stop being so hard on ourselves and take on more challenges and try new things... I think we will be able to all broaden our horizons and possibly find our new passions along the way. Out of interest, what's your new passion moving forward with regards to women in football? This this passion has been obviously going on for uh, a few years now. I joined Women in Football back in 2015 as a board member, but I've been chair now for two years. And um, Our vision is, of course, an industry where um, gender equality is not a topic anymore and where women are welcome at every level in the game, at every position and have equal opportunity and equal access as their male counterparties. And also, um, I always say the same thing. We're not trying to replace an inner circle with another inner circle, which is um, replace, you know, white middle-aged men with white middle-aged women. No, we also are about uh, embracing all equalities and all minorities and trying to give everybody an equal opportunity. And this can only happen if there is the will at the top Right. So people are not simply uh, doing it to tick boxes and to, you know, as part of a CSR project, 
but they truly believe in it and they truly believe that it helps them improve their operation quality, profitability, and also create much more inclusive work environments. Just for the listeners who have never heard of Women in Football, just in case, could you just explain the organisation and and what projects you're doing of what you've just described there related to your vision? Women in Football was set up 12 years ago by um, female journalists who, uh, let's say, going to a match to write on the match, noticing that in the press box they're the only woman. Um, and they faced quite a bit of uh, discrimination and difficulties. And um, they said, let's start an organization where people can um, gather, connect with each other, um, learn from each other, share successes, celebrate successes, but also challenge discrimination. Fast forward 10, 12 years. Uh, We are uh, seen as the trusted partner of the football industry, not just in England, but outside as well, as thought leaders and um, collaborators who who work on taking this um, gender equality agenda forward along with our male members, male allies, and any kind of organization within the industry. And we recently published the results of a survey that we had done where the headline was that um, 66% of women in the workplace face discrimination and only 12% actually reported it. And we also have some very positive figures within that research where um, more than 85% of the women feel that they are supported by their colleagues. More than 75% say that they are supported by their organizations. And again, close to uh, 80% say they are very hopeful about the future, that uh, the, the landscape is changing for women in the industry. So all these are wonderful um, uh, results coming out of the survey. And how we plan to help is obviously we're working at every levels of the pyramid and the ecosystem, both with the talent pool. We have more than 4,400 members who are working at every corner of the game. You know, whatever job you can think of in football, there's a woman in football working in that in, in a corner of the country or in Europe for sure. So we have leadership courses for them. We have coaching opportunities, mentoring opportunities, and we're trying to create this um, leadership-ready, board-ready, C-suite-ready talent pool so that um, whenever there's a new opening as per the new diversity code of the FA or the one that applies to county FAs or EFL or Premier League, when they're searching for female talent, we want to be the place uh, that they come to. Uh, and we can help them uh, with our bespoke consulting services uh, from even starting with the search, you know, the profile, how can you make that less discriminatory and more inclusive, and your search process, your shortlisting process, your interview panels, onboarding, and then providing growth opportunities within the organization. On the flip side, um, we also are in the process of um, setting up a corporate membership scheme whereby corporations, um, once again, join our institution, our, our organization like individuals do. 
and they become an endorser of our uh, manifesto, of our vision, and we then work with them on their female workforce and how we can empower the female workforce within that organization. And third one, which we actually um, feel extremely proud about and uh, feel that it's a very important addition to the industry, is our Vicky Orweiss uh, Board Apprenticeship Scheme. Uh, we're now on to our second year with two more uh, new board members who are uh, shadowing our board for one year. And that provides an amazing opportunity for women in, um, in their earlier in their career, from five to 10 years of career path, let's say. And um, we mentor them. We include them in every single board meeting, committee meeting, and decisions, because many times when you apply for a board, they always ask for prior board experience. And if you've never had one, how do you break the cycle, right? So we are trying to spread this board apprenticeship program to other organizations within football. And we also have a youth council that we are forming now. Many of us on the board actually, um, there's a wide range of backgrounds of um, age within the board as well, but still we want to continue holding the pulse, especially on the millennials, because I sincerely think that they're going to revolutionize the whole uh, workforce uh, in the years to come. Uh, so we will rely on the youth council to be our uh, mentors, actually, to make sure that uh, we are catering to the uh, younger workforce as well. So these are all some initiatives that we are hoping to uh, launch uh, late this year or early next year. And uh, it's, it's an important part of our operations now. This sounds fantastic. And uh, really quickly, because there's one thing I say to students on this show, like job shadowing is such a great way to just see what goes on. May I ask from your position how you've seen job shadowing so effective? So this is for the listeners who haven't done it before and not just on board, like in a board setting, it could be in a work setting. May you provide some advice to the listeners, like the benefits of job shadowing and the benefits they could receive if they reach out and ask, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, first of all, um, I think especially out of college, it's you have some preconceptions about what you want to do and which industry is good for you. But if you have the opportunity through an internship or a job shadowing scheme to really test if that's what you want to do early enough in your career, you can make the right choices. Because I've seen so many people in 10, 15 years later saying, well, my heart lies with you know, this other industry or this other type of work, but I've been stuck here for too long. You know, and I'm so afraid to change right now. So experimenting early enough gives you, you know, widens your horizon more than anything else. But also if you're at the receiving end of, of these job shadows, make sure that it's not only about observing, but um, ask for a way to do an even small part of that job. You know, get the hands-on experience as well, because only then you'll get a true glimpse of what's happening, you know, in that industry or in that department. And also you'll gain the, the expertise as well. Absolutely. Now, just getting back to your career now, 
out of interest, what have you enjoyed the most reflecting right now? Oh, well, um, 30 years is, is obviously a long time, but I think the most rewarding for me, even among all those flashy positions and major successes was being able to make a difference in the, in the lives of the other people. And there's nothing more rewarding than an email that I receive or a call that I receive um, saying that, Ebru's so much, you know, uh, influence uh, you have had on my career path and on my personal transition and transformation. I never thought that I could dare to, you know, apply for this position, but here I am. I got the job and I'm doing a wonderful job. So it's almost like my, you know, some of them are not old enough, you know, or too old to be my children, but I sometimes feel I have hundreds of daughters and sisters all over the world who I managed to inspire and motivate to change their lives. Well, you're certainly motivating me. And you did last night with regards to your TED Talk, which I mentioned before our podcast chat. Look, I feel like we're at a great stage of the interview, Ebrew, where I like to finish with an inspirational question. You've provided already bags of advice, but I need to, con- I need to concise it now. What three tips would you give to a sports graduate who'd really like to pursue a career in the football industry, what would those three tips be? Never stop learning, for sure. I mean, that's my number one, uh, because uh, the minute you think that you've learned everything and you know everything, that's when complacency starts. So continue learning, you know, whatever it is. Um, secondly, always be courageous. Uh, never let something pass by uh, you will regret forever don't be a spectator get in that arena roll up your sleeves and start the struggle if, if need be and I guess thirdly um, be a problem solver and uh, never the the problem maker problem creator but always have solutions if you're going to bring problems to the table as well they sound fantastic and some I need to apply myself after this chat. Ebru, how can people interact with you on social media? I'm on obviously LinkedIn, Twitter, um, Instagram and Facebook. And um, LinkedIn is probably the easiest. Uh, I usually, I'm happy to, you know, provide advice or um, set up calls or direct people in the right direction. Um, so, but very happy to to be involved and uh, to give advice to whoever is listening and whoever thinks they need my help. That is great. To all the listeners listening in, all those links will be on my website relating to this blog post. Ebru, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Many thanks, Ed, for um, letting me on this, letting me come on on this wonderful show. And I hope that the listeners find it inspiring and useful. Wow, what a wonderful way to kickstart season six. And I really do hope you enjoyed this podcast chat with Ebru, particularly if you have that desire to work in the football industry. For me, there are so many golden nuggets, which I've learned from Ebru. And I've always learned from her when I first saw her on stage at the Athens Women's Football Summit, particularly her composure. That's the one thing I've learned from her when I speak to her in person, see her on the stage. And I think that's such an important trait that I've taken from her and also having the courage like 
The second tip I'm going to remind you guys and include myself is having the courageous courage to do what you want to do, even if it's uncomfortable. Like for her to take that Galatasaray role for six months just to see if it was right for her, which then led to 30 years in the football industry by being involved in areas of the game to elevate the ecosystem is just phenomenal. And this is what being a leader is all about. And that's a, the third thing I've learned is leadership. Um, three, boo. I'd have to say I've interviewed different CEOs and different, I would say leaders on the on this podcast show, but how Ebru leads is so subtle, but also so impactful by being concise in what she wants to achieve in the role she's in. Now, from a sports career development perspective, put those three career tips that Ebru mentioned right at the end and put them into practice. And lastly, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to the show and also share your biggest learning lesson on Twitter at Bowers101. I love to hear what you learned the most from this podcast. But again, if you've enjoyed the show, share it and let's add value to the world of sports education. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Ebru said, always be courageous during your career and develop the ability to influence others by being a solution finder.